Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer, okay? Father, we want to thank you tonight for the incredible gift that Jesus Christ has given to us. You've taken our broken lives. You've given us eternal life. You've clothed us in the robes of Christ's righteousness. We are no longer sinners in your eyes, but saints saved by the grace of God. You see us as your dearly loved children. Father, we thank you tonight that because we know Jesus Christ, you work all things together for good in our lives. That no matter what difficulty, Lord, we may be going through this evening, and there are many here tonight going through great difficulties, you promise to work them for good. We could not imagine, Lord, a more extraordinary life, a more blessed life, knowing, knowing where we will spend all eternity. We ask you tonight, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to our hearts. You'd help us to understand the mission that you have for us. And you'd help us, Lord, to grasp the reality of how you desire us to really live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And I was thinking as we were singing tonight, the reason we're here started a little over 2,000 years ago, maybe 2,300 years ago. I don't know the exact amount of time. But because of one individual, one man, Jesus Christ, being willing to submit to the will of the Father, he was willing to leave all that he had in heaven, all of his comfort zone. Now, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's easy to do, but have you ever tried to leave what you're comfortable with? This last week, I've been, uh, I've been re- I, I don't normally rearrange things. I'm not a rearranger guy, believe it or not. Once I have a system, that system doesn't change. I sat in a different seat tonight for the first time since we started meeting here. <clears throat> because I needed to offer someone else my seat. <clears throat> I was moving my office around. I'm, I, this is going to sound funny. I'm actually sharing a bathroom I started three days ago with my wife. I have never done that. Our whole married life. When we lived at Old Shockby Road, I shared the downstairs bathroom with the boys and the girls shared the upstairs bathroom. And since we lived, uh, and the only other place I've lived is there in, in Egan in this 14 years, and I've always used the lower bathroom. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm rearranging stuff and there's a reason I won't go into it, but, but it's real uncomfortable. I forgot where I put stuff. I, I never forget where I put stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I moved my pants, oh yeah, I moved my shirt, my closet, everything. It's like, wow, okay. And, I, and, and you know, it seems simple, but, but it's not simple. It's not simple to rearrange your life. It's not simple to all of a sudden just pull out and, and do something revolutionary and radical and life-altering. Jesus Christ had lived for billions and billions and trillions of years as we know years for Him from eternity past. In total and complete harmony with the Father. He and the Father are one. He and the Father co-equal. And they together devised a plan in which they would create a world and they would give man a choice and man screwed it up. Man, have you ever had your house screwed up? Have you had other people screw up your life? 
Again, sometimes it's just hard. You know, we just think about God and it's hard for us to, to grab hold of it until we think about our lives being turned upside down. But the whole world just becomes a gigantic mess because of mankind's sin. Or in other words, really here's the man's rebellion against his creator. Well, of course God knew this was going to happen. That doesn't mean it was convenient. It was so inconvenient that Christ prayed in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Find somebody else, Lord. Find someone else to do this mission. It was so stressful. I don't know if you've ever experienced stress in your life. I have. I've experienced stress so much in my life before I'm vomited. But I've never sweat drops of blood, but I felt like it. Jesus was in that garden. He said, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Is there another way? And he was under such intense strain in the Garden of Gethsemane before Calvary that drops of blood dripped from his forehead rather than sweat. So Christ leaves everything in heaven. I mean, there's no evil. And God, the Bible, God can't stand evil. I don't know if you've ever thought about things you can't stand. You ever had to be in a situation where you're around stuff, you just, I can't stand it. I mean, I can't stand this. I've been in situations like that where God's asked me to be involved in some situation. And I'm like, it, it's just inside, it's turning my stomach. I mean, I just can't, I just can't even stand. I'd rather be one billion miles away from this reality right now. Again, these are minuscule. My comparisons are minuscule to Christ. And Christ comes down here with one sole purpose, to accomplish the will of God. He comes here on a mission. And what's his mission? His mission is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. That's what the word means, good news. His mission was to come down here and lay his life down on a cross after being tortured, brutalized, maimed, disfigured. In fact, the Bible says he was so disfigured, you could not really recognize he was a human being. And he did it for one reason. To provide eternal salvation from our sin and the wrath of God that was going to come on us in hell for all eternity. That's what he came to do. He died on that cross. He took all of my sin, all of your sin, all your neighbor's sin, every person's sin that's ever lived. And the Father put it on him, and then the Father crushed him. And the Father turned his back on the Son, which is why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God has promised us he will never forsake us, but he forsook his Son for your sake. There was no other way. So then Jesus is taken down off the cross and he's put in the grave. And fortunately, he didn't stay in the grave, but the story's over. There is no good news. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered death. Death is our great enemy. Every person who lives dies. And Christ conquered death. Now, 
Jesus came, we read a few weeks ago in John 17, and he accomplished the Father's will. He accomplished his mission. But let me ask you this question. What good does that event do if no one knows about it, no one understands its relevance, and no one ever hears about it, and no life is ever changed because of it? And if Jesus is gone, and if Jesus is bodily not on the planet anymore, then whose responsibility is it to let others know of the most significant event in all of history? I want you to think about that tonight. This message is entitled... The missional life, organizing your life around God's mission. Are you willing to reorganize your life? Boy, it's one thing to reorganize your house. It's one thing to, you know, change everything and make a way for other people. But are you willing to reorganize your whole life? Are you willing to reorganize your free time? Are you willing to reorganize the priorities of your life? Are you willing to step back from your life and ask yourself, what does God want me to live for? I received an email from a young man I've been praying for. My wife and I actually, we met them. This young man and his mother through a a gospel track. My, My wife's story she handed out at a mall where she was walking. The mother gave this little piece of literature to the young man and he wanted to get together and visit. He's 18. So we've been dialoguing about Christ. And we met a few few weeks ago and we talked about the Lord for quite a while. He's a very, very interesting young man. He's got a really soft heart towards the things of God, but he's not yet quite there. So we've been emailing back and forth and <clears throat> he lives about 60 miles out of the cities here. And, <clears throat> and he wrote me this last week. He said, you know, Mark, it was just so uh, a, a wonderful opportunity uh, just getting to visit with you. <clears throat> you enlightened me to so many things. He said, you know, Mark, it's just so amazing that you have this eternal reason for your life. <clears throat> I want that so much in my life. I want purpose in my life. And, and I can see that you have it. And what greater, and he's writing this, he doesn't know Christ yet. What greater purpose is there than letting people know of paradise and that they can live forever? I know that I'd be able to go there if I could just stop sinning enough and consistently obey God's commands, which of course, see, he doesn't understand the gospel, but that's okay. I think he'll get there. I've been praying for him every day. I believe he'll get there. You and I. are no different than Christ. See, the gospel defines our life. I don't know if you know this, but the gospel of Jesus Christ defines our life. The gospel gave us life. The gospel guides our life. The gospel is our way of life. And the gospel is our life. Just as God sent Christ into the world, and when we accepted Jesus Christ, we became a Christian, a Christ one, a follower of Christ, Now God expects us to carry on the mission 
to the new generation of human beings that do not know him. Christ died for the sins of the world. We are to die to ourselves for the propagation of the salvation message to the world. And most Christians don't understand that. Many don't understand, and let me honestly say, many others simply don't care. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus defines for us what it means to live a missional life. He lived his life for the mission of God. The mission to save mankind from their sins. The mission to provide mankind with forgiveness for our sins. To justify us in God's sight. To save us from the power of sin. And to empower us to a new way of life. To live by new priorities, new morality, the servant way, the Jesus way of life. Christ not only saved us for all eternity. A lot of people like to focus on that. And it's great to focus on that. We want to live in light of eternity. But he saved us to change the way we live now until we die. He came to change the priorities by which we live now until we die. Don't don't you see? It's now until you die that matters. After you're dead, it doesn't matter. You'll be with Christ. Now, you may look back in that moment and realize you wasted your life and that would be a great tragedy. But it's from here till there. From here till I pass from this life. That's critically important. That's the point where our life can have meaning or not have meaning. Where we obey or we disobey God. Where we live by new priorities or old ones. And you and I, we have to decide, how am I going to approach my life? I'd like to share two passages with you this evening that have had a deep impression on my life, but they're meant to have a deep impression on every every Christian. And of course, they have had, down through the ages, a powerful impact on millions and millions and millions of Christians' lives. These are the words of Jesus In Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to listen carefully to this. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or support the one and treat the other with contempt. But you cannot serve God and the pursuit of money. I tell you, therefore, do not worry about your living, what you are to eat or drink, or about your body, what you are to wear. Is not the life more important than its nourishment and the body than its clothing? Look at the birds of the air, how they neither sow or reap. They don't gather into barns, but your Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Furthermore, who of you is able through worrying to add one moment to his life's span? And why worry about clothes? Observe fully. How the lilies of the field grow. They neither toil or spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor has never dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field that exists today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not more surely clothe you of little faith? 
Do not then be anxious, consumed, in other words, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What are we to wear? For on all these things, the pagans, the non-Christians centers their interest. Their life revolves around those things. While your heavenly Father knows you need them, but you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry, therefore, in view of tomorrow, for tomorrow will have its own anxieties. Each day's peculiar troubles are sufficient for it. This passage is profound in its implication. It's profound in its meaning. And I want... I want you to think for a moment about what it means. It's allergy season for Mark. I don't know if any of the rest of you are having some, but I am. One day I won't have any. You know, this passage was one of the first passages I read as a young man. It really challenged me to think about, well, what does it really mean? Does Jesus mean I shouldn't go to the refrigerator and make my own sandwich because, you know, he'll just make one appear? Does Jesus mean, you know, this is a great verse if you tend towards laziness. Wow, this means I don't need a job. I'll just feel like a bird. I'll just fly around from here to there and seeds will just appear magically. Well, that's not really the essence of what Jesus is trying to teach, especially if you read the rest of the New Testament. If you read Proverbs, which teaches us to be diligent, to work hard, to provide for our own needs. It was not Jesus telling us, don't provide, don't have a job, and don't work hard. What he's telling us is, what are you centering your whole life around? What are you centering your whole life around? Always remember this. Everyone around you in this world is living for something, for some reason, for some mission. Many just don't describe their selfish, worldly pursuits as a mission. But it is exactly that. They are focused on getting things for themselves. They're focused on their enjoyment, their comfort, their pleasure, their acquisition of more stuff. I know many people who simply live using all their free time in the pursuit of outdoor activities, whether it's some kind of athletic sport or a hobby or hunting or fishing. And those who know those people well would say their love for these things defines them and consumes them. This is what Jesus is saying. Most people that you know, they're living their lives for their own desires. They're on their own mission. They're on their own quest to get the newest electronic gadget, to get a little more money, to get a nicer car, to get one that's... I don't even know how to say it anymore. I'm I'm so out of it. Um, You know, that's so technologically advanced that you can plug in all of your own computer instruments, whichever one you use, and it can just run everything. And it's amazing how, how many more gadgets they're adding to cars. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't seem to stop. And they just come up with more stuff to add to it. And then your car's out of date and you feel kind of bad. And, you know, eventually you want a nicer one. And it's, it's tempting. I mean, all around us are these temptations to the desire of our flesh to be discontent because we don't have that. It could be 
a relationship. It could be the person we're not married to. It could be the car we're not driving. It could be the clothes we're not wearing. It could be the new furniture that we wished we had. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And I think it's ironic, the city in which we live, at least for a long time, I don't know if it's still true, but the largest mall of America is in this city. And yet they're building more. And then they built the largest Ikea. And then you've got the Galleria. And then all the other malls, the Dale, Dale, Dale malls, they're all remodeling their mall. Why? Have you ever asked why? Because the number one pastime of Americans is spending their money on themselves. Does myself have needs? Of course. Does God tell me I cannot spend on my legitimate needs? Of course he does not. The problem is we're addicts. Americans are addicts to spending money. We're the greatest debtor nation in the world. We have credit cards out our ears. Always trying to get more for us because we've forgotten our mission. And we become consumed without even realizing it. We're consumed by things that are going to burn. They don't matter. They're going to rust. And guess what else? I know it's hard to believe. But one day... you're going to look at that piece of furniture or you're going to look at that computer monitor you're using now and it's going to go in a box and it's going to go to Goodwill or to Best Buy to the free recycling program for your advancement. And you're going to fill it with something new. And I think we need to step back and ask ourselves, what is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? Seek first God's kingdom. You know what it means? What my understanding? And I'll explain one more verse before we close. God's kingdom is a kingdom made up of human beings. Christ came to this planet because there's one thing on this planet that matters more to him in all the universe than anything else, the humans. I don't want to break your heart. I hope you don't stone me for this. But Jesus didn't die for your dog. And Jesus didn't die for your nice horsey. And Jesus didn't die for your kitty cat. And Jesus didn't die for your rabbit. And Jesus didn't die for the mountains. Everything on this planet... Everything is going to be destroyed by God. But the souls of human beings, human beings, he loves them. For God so loved the humans that he gave his only son. And if you love God, if you really love God, if you know Christ, if Christ is on the throne of your life, then we can say about you, for Bob, for Sally, for Mark, for Tom, so loved the world that they gave their life. For God's mission to the world. And if you're not involved in that mission, you're wasting your life. That's gut check time. It's time to find out, what what am I really living for? Am I really living to be a light to the world? I could go on, Gemini, a a lot of hours tonight about this, but am I being a witness in my job? Am I doing a good job? Do I provide excellent service? Do I bring a great attitude to work? Do I bring a Christ-like attitude? Do you know what the Bible commands? You know the mindset? The mindset, the mentality that we're commanded in Philippians chapter 2 to have. And it's something I I just go over in my mind. I work at have this mindset in you that was also in Christ, who although he was God, did not regard equality with God, Something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant. A servant. Paul writes, Paul, Timothy, slaves of all. 
slave of Christ. Jesus said the greatest among you would be the servant of all. The slave of all. All what? Humans. Lost humans, saved humans. Non-Christian humans, Christian humans. That we see ourselves as God's resource to use in the lives of other people. When we go to the store, when we go about our day, are we mindful that God is in me and God wants to use me in my life to influence other people? God's kingdom is people. It's people. It's made up of people. We don't fight with guns and, and swords and shields to advance God's kingdom to somehow gain more geographical ground for Jesus. You know why? <clears throat> because if you know your Bible, the mountains are the Lord. The clouds are the Lord. The nations are the Lord's. The oceans are the Lord's. The people are not. They must be fought for, not against. They must be won. They must be worked for. They must be prayed for. And then, when they come into God's kingdom, those people, His kingdom is the church. So we go out. We go out in this world. And that's the verse we're going to look at in just a moment. I'll just quote it. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> after he raised from the dead, all authority, all authority has been given to me. I'm in power. All authority. I co- Another way to put it is, I call all the shots. <clears throat> I call all the shots. Another way to look at it is Jesus saying to the disciples, I am your master. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go into the world. Get out there. Get out there. Get out there in the world, outside your comfort zone, outside the walls of your house, outside the walls of a building that's come to be called church. This is not church. This is a building where the church, you, meets. Go and make disciples. Of all ethnic groups, that's what the word nation means. It means ethnic. means people groups. Go out. Go out. Get involved. And a disciple meant a follower, a convert, someone who comes to Christ. Well, you're out there sowing the gospel. I know many of you are. And so we start by sowing the gospel. Just sowing the gospel. Sharing the gospel with others. Sharing what Christ did for us with others. We start by praying for others that are in our sphere of influence. <clears throat> Might be your family members. You know, it's interesting. You, you have people in your life circle. Did you know that? That I don't know. I'll never get to know them. And God puts you in that circle. If you look at the book of Acts... So that they might be in close proximity to you to see the light of Christ. You are Christ's ambassador, the Bible tells us. As if God were in you, crying out to the world, be reconciled to God. And he's entrusted us with that truth. With this ministry of reconciling others to God. Of telling them the message of salvation. So, you know... 
there's a group of people <clears throat> that my wife and I pray for every day. They don't know the Lord yet. <clears throat> and we're praying for them. We're praying for them. We're praying for them. <clears throat> I had the joy, the opportunity last Saturday morning of meeting a young man <clears throat> who had written to me. had been here about seven months ago and uh, wanted to share a story and had been listening to the amazing God stories on the website. And he heard many of your stories and he thought to himself, if God can do that in their life, God could do something profound in my life. And there at the little coffee shop, we talked about Christ and he accepted Jesus Christ into his life. That's part of what God has. But then <clears throat> when that person comes to Christ, they're, they're part now of God's kingdom, kingdom of people called the church. For we are his chosen nation. See, we are his kingdom. Made up of all races. That's the beauty of Christ. The beauty of Christ is there's no racism. We are all God's sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. No matter what our background. No matter what our race or the color of our skin. The gospel is for every race of men and women in the world. that's ever been. And the gospel brings us together. The gospel brings together in the church. <clears throat> the church means called out ones. That's us. Called out from the world. We responded to the gospel. And now we're in Christ's family. We're his body, the Bible tells us. Even more intimately, the Bible tells us we're his bride. <clears throat> and we're his kingdom of priests and kings. That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. <clears throat> And then the Bible says this. <clears throat> Go and make disciples of all nations <clears throat> and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you <clears throat> may not recognize how important baptism is. <clears throat> baptism does not save you. But baptism is a step of obedience identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a step of publicly obeying. When I go down in that water and I come out, it symbolizes I died with Christ and I'm raised to newness of life. And we get into the book and we begin to eat spiritual food and we begin to find out that, wow, God has a new way for me to live. God has a new morality that he wants me to live by. A new code he wants me to live by. New ethics he wants me to live by. Wow! I was pretty dysfunctional before. This is the way God wants me to deal with other people. This is the way God wants me to love my wife. This is the way God wants me to love my husband. This is the way God wants me to raise my children. Everything changes with Jesus Christ. The problem in the world is an honor of Christ. He changes everything. <clears throat> the only way society will ever be changed is at a cellular level. It will never come through the government. Communists tried that. They destroyed the Soviet Union. China tried it. Millions and millions of lives were destroyed. <clears throat> God changes lives at a cellular level. The cell is you, the family <clears throat> and when families begin to change, when individual human beings on an individual level, one cell, one single cell, a human accepts Christ and begins to grow in Christ. Because you know what the third thing is? Make disciples. <clears throat> sow the gospel. And as you sow the gospel, people respond. They become a disciple, a baby Christian. Baptize them. And teach them to do all that I taught you. 
Teach in the book. Teach it with your life, with your example. That's our mission. It's an eternal mission. It will count for all eternity. And in closing, let me say this. I don't have time to get into this tonight. Maybe I'll get into it next week. So my wife and I, many years ago, the reason I include Kathy and I is, is because first we have a number of here that are married. Secondly, many of you are going to eventually get married. And third, almost my entire Christian life has been lived as a married person. Kathy and I literally organized our whole life around the gospel. We organized our whole life around the mission. Always. We sacrificed, Kathy and I have sacrificed thousands of hours of time that we could have been together just us because I was out on a mission. And we were a team. We're a team. Just because we're not doing the same identical thing doesn't mean the team isn't moving forward. Whether it was concerts I used to do on college campuses and sharing testimonies, whether it used to be a a video program I used to take and share in college dorms called Rock Music Up Close. They would examine rock music and then examine the lives of rock musicians and then bring Christ into the picture. I was scared. I was young. It wasn't easy to stand up in front of crowds. Seeing people grow in Christ. Seeing them, you know, praying for them. The way in which we raised our children. They saw us on mission. They saw that lost people matter to us. My children, and I'm not saying this is... This is wrong. If you have memories of going to cabin, a cabin as a kid, that's great. I, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. <clears throat> but my kids, you know, their they're growing up was going to uh, LT programs for young high school students. That was our vacation. I really didn't take vacation. We drove all the way to Myrtle Beach. I'm not a Myrtle Beach kind of driving guy. I mean, it's 3,000 miles. I hate driving in a van that far. And the East Coast, I mean, it could fall off in the ocean as far as I'm concerned. I, I'm just being really blunt. In fact, let California fall off, let the East Coast fall off, let's all just stay where we are. It'd be great with me. That doesn't sound very loving, doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it? It, it isn't, I confess. <clears throat> over half the United States lives east of the Mississippi. That's kind of what I meant. It's crowded. You go driving over there, it's just insanity. It's insanity. So I'm driving, and every summer, year after year after year, we'd load up the kids, we'd go out, and I'd be teaching young college students about following Christ. We'd go out sharing the gospel and doing beach evangelism. This is the environment my children grew up with. We'd have people into our home we'd be sharing Christ with. We were at church. We were at church two or three times a week. Why? The church is our life. The body of Christ is our life. You are our life. You're part of me, and I'm part of you. We're part of the body. And we need one another to nourish one another. We needed to get built up on our faith. And I needed to have others speaking into my life and me speaking into theirs. We need fellowship. The early church says they were devoted to fellowship. Does that that describe your life? Are you really devoted to it? Or is it just, oh, let's see. You know, once a month I'm a pretty regular attender. So I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, Kathy and I, we just built our whole life around the church, the mission of the church, the mission of the Word of God. <clears throat> and even now, our lives <clears throat> are built around the Bible, <clears throat> the first thing I do in the morning. <clears throat> and again, 
I've said it to you before. It doesn't really matter that I get up so early. It just matters I get up. And I spend that first hour after I've gotten myself awake praying. Then later on during the day, I meet with Kathy and we pray together again for probably 15 or 20 minutes. Many things to pray about. I'm driving in my car. Often I just, well, fortunately I don't have a radio. So I'm not even tempted to turn it on. I pray. There's so many things going on. You would not believe all the things going on. Huge, huge trials in many of the brothers and sisters' lives that are in this room here tonight. And they're heavy on my heart. And I pray for them. There's people I'm trying to see come to Christ and I'm praying for them. I realize that if their life ended today, they would spend eternity without Christ. I'm reading my Bible. I'm thinking about God's truth. I'm watching what comes into my life. I'm watching over myself. So if I don't watch over myself, next thing I know, I just want to go down this little road or this little road or this little tangent or that little sin. I'm trying to walk with God. How I spend my money. What I use my money for. It's really, truly for people. It's, it's, I'm just telling you, honest to God, the truth. <clears throat> I just try, Kathy and I try very diligently to live on the basic bare essentials that we would need <clears throat> so that we can function, so that we can be healthy and vibrant, so that we might have as much as we can to share with others. Because it's all going to count for eternity. <clears throat> I'm like, I don't want to leave any cards on the table. We're going for broke. I know that eternity's coming. I know the Bible says our king's at the door. Even now he's at the door. It's not going to be long and he's going to be back. Are you willing to reorganize your life for the mission of God? If not, you'll have a wasted life. You'll have a wasted life and you will have missed out on all that God could have done with your life. But even more than that, when we don't live for the mission of God, whether it's our marriage or whether it's our relationship or whether it's our own addictions, I'll make you a little promise. You'll never really beat them. You'll never really have the meaningful marriage you could have because you'll have a lukewarm life. And when you have a lukewarm life, it means you're compromising. It means that little sins, they're nipping at your heels all the time. It means you're doing things, you're thinking things that you really shouldn't ought to be. Because when you're not all in, as Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either rocking with me, you're either moving forward with me, or you're against me. And it's in your own best interest to dive in. <clears throat> to dive in. Say, God, I'm all yours. And I, I tell you, this, this is my saving grace. <clears throat> we'll close in just one moment. When I was 19... My life is headed in a very, very bad direction. I've thought many, many times, <clears throat> quite vividly. I'm not going to describe it tonight, but I, I'm pretty sure I know where my life would be today. And I'd have um, some very, 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 very bad habits in my life. And those habits I know would have, be destroying me. <clears throat> and I also know if I would have been able to get anyone to marry me, they would have destroyed that marriage. I know this without a doubt in my mind. when Christ intervened in my life and I responded to God, I knew that at that moment, it was my make or break moment. It was my, that my whole rest of my future was decided that night because I told God I'm all in. There's no halfway here, Lord. I'm all in. 
I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to get my nose in this book. All of you in this room, I'm pretty sure, know how to read. <clears throat> or, as a young man I met with recently, he's listening to the Bible on, on CDs. <clears throat> and I dug into this book because I realized ignorance was no excuse. And I said, God, whatever you show me in here, I'm going to do. I want to do it. I want to live it. I'm all in. And, you know, God has been working on me. He's still working on me almost 40 years into this. There's still areas of my life he's still trying to make more like Christ. He took me through the ringer. He's taken me through really difficult trials, but I just kept clinging on to God. I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in. And sometimes it overwhelms me. It overwhelms me that God would use a piece of dung like I know inside I really am. And that God has used me to help anybody. It's actually been thousands of people. That I step back from my life and I go, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. I didn't earn any of this. But I just gave you my loaves and fishes of a life. And said, God, I'm all in. Use me. Use me. I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. Father... I just ask you tonight, Lord, that you would work in each life, in each heart here this evening. And I was driving here tonight, Lord. I really felt like um, a truck had hit me. It was one of those nights I have rarely had them. I wanted to call in and say, I can't come. When it's all said and done, Lord, I'm just flesh. And your spirit, your spirit, oh God, is the one who empowers my life and empowers each of our lives. It's your spirit. You work through us. You do the work. All you want us to be is willing vessels. And you live your life through us. God, I pray that you would unleash yourself in each and every life here this evening. And that we would live our lives arranged completely around your mission of reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping those new believers grow in their faith and feel a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.